This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker, an author, and an executive coach. And today, I am delighted to welcome Maura Ahrens Neely to the show. Maura will talk about understanding your mental health to become a better leader. Maura, welcome. Hello, it's great to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have this conversation. You know, it's an interesting moment in history. We're we're reading the data about the studies that say that anxiety and depression are at an all-time high around the world. Of course, some of that is navigating a continuous COVID uh, pandemic, post-pandemic journey. But I think the world is a bit more tumultuous than it has been. <laughs> and my, you know, my perception is that anxiety is definitely uh, on, on high alert. May I ask you, how is this impacting our leaders in the world of work? I mean, it's impacting leaders the way it's impacting everybody, right? Leaders are people too, <laughs> I, always, I always say. So, you know, I, I think that it's really challenging right now to be a leader and and leaders come in all shapes and sizes. When I say leader, I don't just mean the C-suite to be someone who people look to, right? Someone who has to make decisions that impact other people because there's so much uncertainty. And what happens when there's too much uncertainty for our brains to process, we get really anxious, right? And anxiety can be contagious. You know, if, if we're very anxious as the leader of a team and we're not really in touch with it or we're not managing it actively, it can spill over to our team or our team's anxiety can affect us. And so it's really important for leaders to understand their own anxiety at work right now so that they can manage it and then help their team sort of navigate these really un- uncertain times. Yeah. So for the benefit of this audience, would you please help define what anxiety looks like? Because I imagine some listeners are saying, am I fearful? Am I anxious? What am I, right? If they haven't had a clinical diagnosis or if they're just experiencing these tumultuous emotions. I mean, anxiety is both physical And it's cognitive, right? It's in our brain. And anxiety and fear and stress can feel and look the same, right? Because it's all our body and our brain's reaction to a threat. The way that I like to think about anxiety, and I actually think it's really helpful for people, is that anxiety is an emotion. It's internally generated. Stress and fear are externally generated, right? So a stress might be when our boss comes up and puts a pile of papers on our desk and says, I want these annotated in two hours. That's a stressor that they've just put on us. And fear, well, we all know what fear is, right? Fear is when something scary happens, right? And our body reacts. Anxiety is what happens in response to the fear and the stress. So the stress comes at us and the anxiety might be, he gave this to me because he hates me. He gave this to me because they're thinking about laying me off. I'm going to do a bad job, right? It's all of those anticipatory negative thoughts that happen or, you know, fear, we're in a near miss on the highway. That's scary. 
anxiety might be, I can't drive anymore because this might happen again. And so anxiety is really an internal emotion, which means that we actually have more power to work with it than we think. Thank you. That was such a brilliant explanation and really clarified things for me. And, and it reminds me that those internal thinkings, we tend to fester, you know, and, and ponder and perhaps catastrophize things that mm-hmm. aren't there. But that's the reality of those internal thoughts. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, catastrophizing is, is I, the, I call those thought traps, you know, they're sort of these yeah. instant negative thoughts that our brain goes into when we're anxious and catastrophizing is a really common one and a really big one. And it's, you know, again, in scary times, it's easy to catastrophize. So let's go there because you write so beautifully in the book about what you call decoding your own anxiety profile to avoid those traps and those triggers. Mm -hmm. Say more to that, please. You know, anxiety isn't a one-size-fits-all thing. And Mm -hmm. anxiety shows up in different ways, different people are made anxious. Something that makes me anxious, Caroline, might be a walk in the park for you, right? I mean, think about flying. Flying makes some people so anxious that they can't do it. And, you know, my sister, for example, she's like, I'd rather be on a plane than anywhere else. She loves it. Whereas I am one of those people who really struggles. So, you know, we all have our own anxiety profile. We all act out our anxiety differently. And it's really important for us to understand how anxiety shows up for us. It's also helpful to think about, and I have a chapter on this in the book, you know, like what are the roots of our anxiety? You don't have to do that work to manage and, you know, work with your anxiety, but it can be helpful for a lot of us. You know, I find a lot of women in particular that I work with um, are classic overfunctioners, right? They, from their childhood, have been that person, and men too, who just dive in and fix everything, right? And That is an anxious behavior that continues into the workplace in a big way. So thus the title of your book, The Anxious Achiever. (laughs) Great, great setup, my dear. Thank you for that. So tell us more about that, because that is a, a, a vicious cycle, not a virtuous circle in many, many scenarios. I don't necessarily want to call it vicious because I want I want to give it a little bit more credit than that. You know, anxiety is complicated and it's a double-edged sword. Sometimes anxiety is really useful, right? Sometimes, you know, think about the anxiety that you feel before you're about to do something that challenges you but you care about. Like that's helpful. It's motivating. A lot of the anxious achievers I talk to are people who feel that their anxiety is motivating. I I just interviewed one leader in the C-suite this morning, and she said, you know, in a lot of ways, my anxiety has fueled the ambition that's gotten me to where I am. And we have to credit that. However, the double-edged sword, the anxiety also impacts our mental health. It can rob us of joy. It can hurt our relationships. And it it just, you know, we pay a physical toll. And so the key, again, is to sort of understand your anxiety. I don't want to damn it outright. (laughs) Because sometimes anxiety is useful. Sometimes it's data that's telling you something. The key is to understand it and learn how to manage it. Thank you for that learning. That taught me a lot right there. Oh, and, and it helps, yeah, and it helps reframe what anxiety is. It, it doesn't have to be the stigma of oh, anxiety, right? It can be uh, it can be a useful tool as well. I really, really appreciate it. It really can. 
So let's let's go deeper, right? And and, and I love that the book is is I I call it a playbook. I mean, it's got so many beautiful actionable ideas in uh, all the chapters. How do we begin to recognize it, and then take steps uh, to think about how we can maybe channel it, right, to honor that it's not necessarily a bad thing, but how do we use it for good? Yeah, I mean. The first thing I like to ask people to do, and again, you may have listeners right now who've been in therapy for 100 years and they're like, blah, 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 I know all of this. So good. Um, But if you're not used to tracking your anxiety or you're not used to thinking about it in a workplace context, start by paying attention to your body throughout the day. You know, anxiety shows up in our bodies. And when I'm really anxious, my throat gets really tight and my hands get kind of jumpy and my heart gets jumpy. And that's a tell. That's a signal to me. Or maybe you're not sleeping as well as you used to. Maybe your appetite has changed. Maybe when you get to work, you feel a feeling of dread that feels like nausea in your body. Or you sit at your computer and you just can't focus. And you're jumpy and you feel like you want to jump out of your skin or your chair. This is anxiety trying to tell you something. There also might be a person who makes you really anxious. Like I think we've all had that experience, right? Of someone's email popping up and that name, like we don't even know what the email says, but that name alone makes our stomach just flip. Start paying attention to that. And then you can think about, oh, that's interesting. It was before this meeting or wow, you know, John really makes me anxious because I feel like he's always judging me and he's never, ever giving me the benefit of the doubt. Like start trying to play detective. Mm, I love that. And, you know, as, as a coach, I, it just warms my heart whenever we give ourselves that quiet space to self-reflect and become more self-aware. That's all good on our personal and our professional journey. What about the perfectionism reality? I I think some people have that paralysis that if it's not perfect, they're not going to finish it. And it it impacts us in so many ways in life and career. So what are how do the two of those come together? Perfectionism. You know, perfectionism is so tricky because we sort of idealize the idea of perfectionism, right? We we think it means never stopping until you're the best and putting your heart and soul into everything. And those are traits that certainly um, in Western capitalism, we really value. So what I try to help people understand is that perfectionism is really about anxiety. You could be amazing at your job and work really hard and set high standards and not have the sort of anxiety that comes with being a perfectionist, because that's what perfectionism is. It's a voice in your head. It's a thought. And then maybe behaviors that say, I'm not worth it if I'm not perfect, right? And so the pressure, the emotional investment that comes with that, again, is so draining. And also it can lead to really unhelpful behaviors like avoidance or procrastinating, right? Or alienating people because you're so micromanaging and controlling with your perfectionism that nobody wants to work with you. (laughs) So understanding how perfectionism shows up for you, what you think when you feel perfectionistic and how you act can be life-changing. Laura will be right back after a quick break. 
I'd like to tell you about a special offer. If you want to bring your podcast to life or up your podcast game, you can get up to two months of free podcasting service with Libsyn using my special code CDHWORK. The Libsyn team will get your podcast on Apple and Spotify and give you access to critical stats and all the support you need to sound your best and grow your show. Use my special code CDHWORK. Hiring the right speaker for your event is a tremendous responsibility. You need a speaker who will work within your budget and engage your audience. Whether you're looking to retain or grow top talent, create a healthy workplace culture, or prevent burnout in your organization, I can create customized content to help you recharge, reignite, or reinvent your career. Let's talk about how I can help you achieve your special event goals. Connect with me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So, Maura, the the term imposter syndrome has taken front and center these days, and, it, and it's really interesting set to see how it is um, changing a message. You know, I've heard imposter experience instead of imposter syndrome to really think about it as an isolated incident or a feeling and not this condition that is lifelong. Tell us your thoughts about anyone that is experiencing what they identify as imposter syndrome and how that overlays with with anxiety and your work. Everybody experiences imposter feelings, right? Because we're human and we want people to like us and we want to do a good job, right? So there's very few people I've spoken with, for example, who start a brand new job and don't experience some imposter feelings, right? And actually there's data that show that the more successful you get in your career, actually, the more imposter feelings you might experience. So imposter feelings are normal. Again, if they're just situational. When you feel imposter feelings a lot, it's a signal that there's some kind of anxiety going on. And the thing about imposter syndrome that I'm really trying to learn more about is the work that's being done on the social and systemic factors that play in to what a lot of us experience as imposter syndrome, right? Because sometimes we feel like an imposter because people are treating us like an imposter. And this happens to people who are different at work a lot. We know that, right? Racial biases come into play, gender biases, class biases, right? Disability biases come into play and people feel like imposters because people treat them like imposters. So that's really important. Like I tell people, it's not all in your head, right? And it's important to realize that. But the experience of feeling like an imposter is really personal, right? And it happens individually within us. And so you can, again, try to externalize the imposter feelings, right? Try to separate your own self from them, just like you might with any anxiety. I'm feeling like an imposter. Why? What's happening? Is this because someone's treating me like that? Or maybe this is just my habit, right? I'm sort of like, I'm instantly always going to feel like an imposter. It's one of my thought traps. It's a habit. And I even have a clip of files that I go to with feedback or, you know, sort of nice things people have said to me, or I'll lean on evidence. Well, I know you feel like an imposter, Maura, but they invited you to be here, 
you know, <laughs> you didn't yeah. just show up so that you can, again, try to like balance that thinking. I love that. I, I've got a similar that a girl file, you know, yeah. I, I say on those rainy days in my head, right? It doesn't matter what the weather is outside, but I just need that boost because you're right. It's evidence that someone else is endorsing you, recommending you, applauding you. It's, uh, it, it's not personal. It is, it is objective. It's coming from someone else. Okay. So you, you mentioned breaking bad habits and, and getting outside of your head. Great ideas. Where do you start, right? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, of any number of, of women and men listening around the world saying, yes, I get this intellectually. Now what? And of course, your, your book has some great suggestions. So whet their appetite, Maura. Um, right. Easy to say, hard to do. I totally get it. And, you know, I've been doing and practicing this stuff for decades now, and I still every day struggle with it. So, you know, that's just honest. Um, but I think that it's all about practice. I'm a huge fan of therapy. If you can bring it into your life, coaching, it really helps to not do this stuff alone. And I think that often, especially if we're anxious achievers, we feel like we have to figure out our problems all by ourselves and that just compounds them. So if you can bring someone into your life who can help you through this, great. The thing about anxiety is it's so common it's the world's most common mental ailment that we have a lot of really good ways to combat it and a lot of really good skills you can learn. And so again, if anxiety is impacting your life, your career, your well-being, your body, your joy, take it seriously. You know, when I when I read this part of the book, you you talk about uh, how important it is for us to think about and really articulate what brings us joy in life, and so many individuals, and and I would say I was certainly. Uh, part of that at one point in my life, I continue to work through it. The joy is clouded, right? We're so focused on the doing and, and the working that we often back burner the joy and the happiness. Tell me more about that because I think joy is, is so beautiful and so many people don't prioritize it. The thing I love about joy is that it's different than happiness or contentment mm. or relaxation yeah. because joy can happen even if you're really anxious. Joy can happen even if you're really sad or you're grieving. Joy can last an instant, but there's also data that shows that you can cultivate joy. You can bring up feelings of a joyful moment and let that fill your body. And I like to think of joy it's almost like a supplement. It's like a vitamin that I take. So my normal personality is not necessarily happy. I'm anxious. I tend towards depression. I'm pessimistic. But I still feel a lot of joy. And that helps me get through. And joy can be simple. Joy can be looking outside and it's beautiful and your flowers are blooming. Or joy can be that you know profound, amazing joy of someone we love doing something that we are so proud of. But I really encourage people to think about cultivating joy as a practice because it's an incredible antidote specifically to anxiety. 
Mm, I love that. And I, I appreciate what I'm going to call the continuum of joy because it mm. doesn't have to be this massive fireworks, you know, experience. No. It can be something simple and subtle. So thank you. That's such a beautiful opportunity to give ourselves permission to experience joy on, on different levels. Maura, the subtitle of your book just, I find so compelling. So the book is called The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. So as we, as we wrap how, how do you do that? How do you turn <laughs> the fear and the anxiety into your superpower? I mean, that's a, a beautiful opportunity there, but it, it sounds daunting. It's not daunting. It just takes practice. The thing is, is that when we go through hard things and we don't hide them, we don't shop, eat, drink, yell our way out of them to avoid feeling those feelings we grow, right? We become stronger. We become better. We become more self-aware. We become more compassionate. We learn to listen to the anxiety and ask it, what are you telling me? Right? What are you telling me? And we have tools to work through it. It is a process and it's hard and it's a lifelong journey. But if you are one of those people like me who is just wired this way, or if you're going through a tough time and you're feeling it, it's really worth facing your fear and diving in, right? Because we all know just tamping it down doesn't do us any favors. And it's how we grow is facing our fears. Maura, I have learned so much from you today. What a delightful conversation and a compelling conversation. Your book is called The Anxious Achiever, Turn Your Biggest Fears into Your Leadership Superpower. And of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. But you, my dear, have an incredible podcast of your own. I would be grateful if you would tell this listening audience about that and and perhaps your website so they can continue to connect with you after the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've been doing my podcast, The Anxious Achiever. We're going up on 10 seasons now. And it is a funny, frank, hopefully enjoyable look at mental illness, mental health, and stories from leaders who've been there. And so you can get that wherever you get your podcast. And if you have a question for me, just come find me on LinkedIn and I will write you back. Laura, thank you. I wish you continued success and I hope our paths cross again soon. Thank you so much, Caroline. Your Working Life is now available on all major podcast platforms, and I'd love to hear from you, so let me know how we're doing. You can find me at carolinedowdhiggins.com. And a special shout-out to my extraordinary podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. We now have listeners in 16 countries around the world. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.